Hello, I'm Nicole Stoddard, the founding artistic director of Thinking Cap Theater. Welcome to the Future is Fornes podcast series, an ongoing deep dive conversation with Fornes mentees, practitioners, and scholars about the life and legacy of playwright Maria Irene Fornes. In this episode, I talk with Vanessa Garcia, a Miami-based multidisciplinary writer and creator working as a screenwriter, novelist, playwright, and journalist. Vanessa, when you hear Fornes's name, what instantly comes to mind? Um, the first two things that come to mind are Cuban and then experimental because that's just like the sort of like cliche around her or I don't know, you know, it's, it's the thing, right? So whether, whatever that means, but those are the two words that immediately pop into my head. And when did you first encounter a play by Fornes? And what play was it? Super late, like really late in in life. I feel like um, if I, I mean, I didn't even know she was around really, like until uh, I read Mud and then saw Mud. And then there was a lot of conversation around it, but that's not my favorite, you know, but then it took me a long time between having gone and like read and seen that and then going back to her. Like it wasn't until after I created an, an immersive theatrical piece that I read Fefu. And I was like, wow, she was already doing this, <laughs> you know, in some way, shape or form. She was already moving people around, getting them inside the narrative, um, having them both be outside and in at the same time. And she was, you know, playing with all of that already. So um, at that point, it became very interesting to me. Um, and then I read um, the Cuban play, which was her last one, which is which is not even that Cuban. I don't think anything she she does is really that. What what interests me is not like she's not outwardly Cuban. It's just inside. It's it's inside the the narrative and the words, even word choices and and people being, you know, like tortured and executed all the time. I feel like there's something in the psyche of the Cuban that shows up in her words, even though I don't even know if she was that she didn't, she came in the fifties, you know what I mean? Like before, um, the Cuban revolution and all of that. So there's just so many layers that I think are interesting about her in terms of a Cuban playwright, but really just a playwright that was doing this really cool stuff. Um, you know, and, and that I came to much later and I was really excited about when I actually discovered it. This could be now. <laughs> when I think of her and like doing research around her, I still think of this, uh, I don't know if it was the Village Voice. It was the, co- it was a, it was like a cover article that, that said something to the effect of meet the most famous playwright that no one knows. Yeah. <laughs> and that kind of, for me, when you said, um, that you had already done an immersive piece before you actually read Fefu yep. sort of resonates with that, right? It's this idea that that she was innovating and that there is work that's being done today that we might think is new or that we just aren't sure of what the origin story for it is. And time and again, it seems like it points back to her and her peers and what they were doing off-off-Broadway um, in the 60s and 70s. So since you've read more for Nez, what has resonated with you and what do you feel has been inspirational to you as a playwright yourself? I mean, 
First of all, um, I just feel connected. Like when I read about her going into a space and walking in and saying, oh, I see this happening over here. I see this other thing happening, you know, like in the bathroom or whatever, you know, in, in the different sections of what we consider a theater or a, you know, traditional theater or whatever that is. I mean, that's sort of how I walk into spaces. I think we, there's something inside people that wants to do that and just get out of the of the presentational mode anyway and um that she did it I think is is what fascinates me but the other thing is that I can't get out of my head when I read her is obviously the Cuban part because I'm Cuban um and I think maybe similarly and very differently to her in the sense that because she was born there, but then has a distance from it, from having lived in New York for so long. And then I am born to Cuban parents, but then do and don't have a distance in the sense that it's Miami. You know what I mean? Like there's this like different distance that, that we have that then I see in her like something that is so Cuban. And I don't know how to explain because it's something, um, I mean, even just the way that she speaks, you know, like in, in, in her, in her characters. And then this is the other thing that I question all throughout is like, what are the things that are inside of us being where we're from? And even the fact that she walks into a space and is like, I'm going to break these spaces or I'm going to, you know, meander within them feels migratory in a way, you know, like of a new place. And, um, and then in the, in letters, letters from Cuba, which is her last one, I feel like there's this, um, trying to connect with it, but not, and that she had all these letters, you know, with family, um, in Cuba for such a long time and then places them into this narrative. But for me, the thing that sticks out in that play is again, the space, the division of here's this person in Cuba or Cuba is above me. Right. And I'm over here in the, in the, you know, downstairs area. And there's this one part where like, the brother and sister try and reach out for each other and they don't quite touch. And then just that one image for me is so powerful and you could just linger there and that's the play. You know what I mean? Um, there's so much there. So th those things just like circle around when I, when I read her. Something about what you just said reminds me of a play that you wrote. <laughs> What am I thinking of? This like like a missed encounter. I don't know how many years back. I mean, you and I have known each other for a good um, number of years now, like a dozen. <laughs> I mean, at this point, I don't even know. I don't know, but it, it, it there's so much in her that like just I feel like it's it's in so many of us and resonates, and then it shows up in the writing in, in figuring it out. You know, like I feel like you're either intentionally figuring it out or it's figuring you out or it's making a way inside you onto the page. I don't know what it is, but there's a lot of connections. And I think, yeah, that, I don't know. Now I'm thinking, what, what, what is that? Something, maybe everything. <laughs> I don't know. I have to think about that too. Um, it feels like what you're saying too taps into something that, that lots of people associate with Fornes, which is a strong sense of humanity and a strong sense of spirituality. There is a really palpable sense of spirituality in all of her writing that was part of her process um, and her use of found objects, right? In letters, letters to Cuba, it's 
actual letters that were in her family, right? It seems like through the decades of her writing that there are these found objects and found texts where she was conjuring voices of, of people from the past yeah. um, and releasing them or resurrecting them in, in her writing. Yeah, I mean, I think, and also I think that goes back to like um, what you leave behind and what you bring with you wherever you go. Um, and whether whatever boundary or border that means that you're crossing at any point in your life. Um, and you can see that. What is like trapped is stories that are trapped in our bodies and trapped in our minds, right? Yeah. Um, and that get passed down without you understanding that they're being passed down. And then all of a sudden an object really resonates and you're like, why is this doing this to me? Why is this thing doing this? And it's just whether it's some kind of inherited moment or something or a story that you've heard in the background or something that's making its way, it's all connected. It's all part of the tapestry of these things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, for me, so with thinking cap coming off of uh, a, a month of rehearsals for FEFU uh, and, and just finally opening the show, I, you know, it was, it was interesting for actors that don't know Fornes's work or that don't typically do work that is less traditional, um, for them to grapple with just in that particular play, you know, what is happening. Um, and things can seem so random, right? It's like, where is this going? What is this going to lead up to? Like one moment there, you know, the, the characters in the opening scene are, are, there's a newcomer, the character, Christina, who's trying to understand, uh, who whose house this is and who this person is named Fefu who plays this twisted game with a gun with her husband, right? And the next, she's falling to the ground in a mock faint and they're <laughs> singing Winter Wonderland. Right. It is it is like so whimsical and weird and yet somehow so true to life because it captures the randomness of life, right? Yeah, it also captures kind of like, you know, I feel like we watch all these post-college reunion movies and like, you know, and we're like, of course, of course, of course, yes, yes, the dialogue, whatever, it just all sort of, but at the same time, there are places in Fefa where you connect much more because this is actually what's like actually happening in your head and around people. And I don't know, there's something in it that is almost even, it, you know, not to use that word, but even more realistic in moments, you know, connecting to, to what is in terms of relationships between people and, and everything that emanates from and into and around them. Yeah, I mean, that, that I think is something that really strikes me about this piece. I mean, and you mentioned Mud earlier. Mud came about six years after um, Fefu in terms of the chronology of Fornes' plays, but they both have this intense sense of the present moment and a sense of hyper-realism to them, right? For, uh, Fefu is often talked about as a play that requires film-style acting for, for actors, which actors love that, but then they're just grappling with everything else that happens in the play. <laughs> but there really is just, a, there is a very strong sense, especially in part two of the play, right, that these these actors portraying these characters, these are, these are real people fully embodied, like as if you sliced off the top of someone's head and like truth fell out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about your first encounter with Fefu. When did you, like you first read this play, it sounds like you said from the beginning, right, later in life, which is yeah. relatively speaking, because you are a you are a young woman still. 
but yes, you're younger than I am. So we're not going to talk any numbers. But um, so, so tell me what your first impression was of this play and why this play is so important um, as, as a work by, uh, by a Cuban mm-hmm. lesbian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, experimental playwright, right? And it's a 20th century play that's often described as a, a masterwork. Yeah. Um, so I would answer that 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 um, I'm old enough to have white hair, but I had white hair when I was like 20. So. <laughs> um, so, but I will say that it it was after, um, after I wrote um, a bottle, which was not that long ago. So I really read Fefu late, like we're talking like a couple years ago, you know what I mean? Which is not that, I mean, I started to, to sort of, um, acquaint myself with her when I was, um, living in Savannah because I had some time to read around, um, sort of Cuban writers and just, it was like reconnecting with the people who had really changed me and like really done something to me. And she had kept coming up and I was like, what is wrong with me that I have not read this woman? I have problems. So I, I just did it. I, I, you know, sat down and I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> Got it. Um, and I mean, it's like, there's, you start out and there's all this, you know, conversation around, um, uh, that that's happening and there's Fefu with, with her, with her, you know, blanks that may not be blanks and like everything that's happening in that first moment and all this sort of like, you know, um, non victimhood, but also a little bit. And also then like anger, but also power and all these things that are sort of layered one on top of the other from the beginning. Right. So this like raveling of what is going to happen. And then, um, of course something's going to happen with the gun, but the, for me, the, that, that moment of, you know, like, is it Julia, Julia in the, in the wheelchair shooting, yeah. yeah, shooting back. And like, there's just so many moments of visual, um, like powerful visual moments and moments of absolute tenderness and also pain and also funny. It's super funny, you know, like it's hilarious. And I just, there's so much in there that is, that's, that I relate to as a writer, that the things we want to do, you know, we don't want to smack someone over the head with something. Um, we want them to feel through something and whatever, if you don't get every single part of it, then that's not really, you know, her problem, <laughs> um, in a way. So I'm working with, with Ruben Rabasa, who is 84 now. And, um, he worked with her and I don't, he can't remember the name of the, of the piece that they worked on together, but definitely from the way he describes all of it, it was devised because she was asking a lot of questions and having the actors tell their stories. And I said, what, you know, I asked him like, what is one of the things that you, you know, loved the most about her, about working with her? It seems like such a simple question, but you can, and he said, you know, she really listened to me when I was telling my stories, you know, and, um, I think that you can hear that in the, in the dialogue, even though actors sometimes have that, because this is how we talk, because we say strange things, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and knowing Ruben, I'm pretty sure he said some pretty strange things. Um, and, <laughs> you know, our, 
So there's, there's all of that sort of embedded in there. And, um, I'm bringing him up because I feel it's so connected in a way because, so he's a, a gay man who never came out to his mother. And that part is this huge sort of like weight in his, in his life. Um, he was very, very, very close to his mother and she died and he doesn't, he's doing this one person show and he doesn't want to, he keeps saying, you know, like, why do I have to say this in here? Why do I have to say that, that I'm gay, straight people don't come on stage and say I'm straight. Like, why do I have to keep getting placed in these? And I hear her in some of that, you know, and I think that there's a lot of generational weight that comes with not actually truly being able to say it for such a long time. And that that is, is still very much there. We even went to go like speak to a psychiatrist friend with him and like all of these layers that I see also. So I, I just see a conversation between my present moment and her writing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, well, it's interesting, like the more I learn about people who more I meet and talk to people who worked with her, the more I find connections like this, right? Yeah. Like I just, I've just learned recently someone that I've known for years was a stage manager for her, uh, for mud out in Padua Hills back right. in the eighties. And then when it went to New York, mm-hmm. I'm like, how, I, how could I know what I think is your total identity in terms of your like theater work history. <clears throat> and now you're sharing this, yeah. right? It's like, we find people uh, again and again that that have somehow been touched by her work, who work directly with her and directly, and her legacy lives on through them if we preserve the stories. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, that's the key. And there's a lot of work being done right now um, through the Fornes Institute and many scholars and practitioners to try to preserve um, her general legacy, but also specifically her playwriting techniques, her um, visualization exercises and how she incorporated yoga and, and all sorts of other um, tools that she used to try to get people to free their minds to actually write. Um, so let's let's say just a bit more about uh, the play Fefu because what you just brought up about the actor that you're working with this like recurring theme of of people of certain generations right having really struggled with um, openly identifying as someone from the LGBTQ community, right? I mean, Fornes was openly lesbian, not so openly lesbian at home in Cuba, but openly lesbian in her life here. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet she, only two of the like nearly 40 plays that she wrote have lesbian characters and Fefu and her friends is one of those plays, which I find that so fascinating mm-hmm. that that is the case. But it's it's a testament to the sort of double-edged sword of identity politics, right? I mean, she was not wanting to overtly participate in anything that was was resembling activism in her work. I mean, we know in the 70s, she attended consciousness-raising meetings. She said that the more personal her writing became, the more political it became, and yet she um, did not want to be siloed into a community. I mean, she didn't want the accents on her name. Mm-hmm. She also, this goes for, for like her her Latina uh, identifier as well, right? She, she did not want to be identified specifically as any one of these things, and yet she was all of these things. 
And so I wonder what your thoughts are as a playwright, as a woman playwright, thoughts on Fornes and this play in particular, um, her as a, as a feminist playwright or this text as a feminist text. Yeah, I think it's just, there's so many things happening in my brain right now, but the biggest of which is, I feel like when stories are beginning to emerge from people whose story they are, in other words, that it's not other people writing about them, or um, there's this sense of like, uh, it's like, let me, let me put it this way. Like if someone says, oh, I need to, you know, fill this spot with a Latina play, right? They're probably not going to pick Fornes, right? Be and I think that's what she wanted. And I think that's what she was. I mean, I feel like that's what you fight against in terms of, well, I'm, I'm not going to put an accent in my name. If then you're going to place me in this little corner of who you think I am, where really I'm just going to be who I am. And, um, you know, it's complicated, right? Because at the same time, you're, you're sort of erasing, negating, blurring, whatever word you want to use there, right? Which, which is a thing. But at the same time, you're actually being your true Cuban, <laughs> you know, uh, lesbian, everything self. That's who you are. And that's what comes across in Peppa and not like some pushed upon box that you have to fit in. I mean, if she's not going to fit into the the black box and she's going to move that around, I I feel like it would be the same person who would do the same thing with an accent or a, 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 a different kind of box. So I feel that that is, you know, it's, it's also a conversation that I'm having with this actor, but you know, it is part of that, I think, because you just don't want to be <laughs> labeled as something that, that is, too simplistic because there isn't the full truth and the full story and the full, you know, there's not enough of them out there. And so I, I, I find myself being able to understand it and also understand the complicated gray areas around it and, you know, all the complexity, all of it. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, identity politics exists for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, identity politics exists because there are different communities that have been underrepresented, right. that have been discriminated against in all sorts of ways, verbally, uh, physically, and through just complete exclusion and silencing, right? Um, so it's, it's, it's not our hope for the future that we will always live in a world of identity politics. But I mean, Fornes was deeply there. It is undeniable that she was deeply um, concerned about all of these different yeah. marginalized communities. I mean, you see humans suffering and humans from these different groups suffering um, in play after play. Yeah. And I do think, and I do think there comes a moment where you have to move away from subtext and say a thing, you know what I mean? And that eventually happens, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, it's also, there's an understanding of, of, um, I mean, speaking of, I mean, those tender, painful, all those moments in here, I mean, I think are wrapped up in, in identity politics, whether she likes it or not, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you have the, there's a lesbian couple, yeah. right? And it's not really clear with the characters of Paula and Cecilia, if the other women that are part of Fefu's circle of friends are aware of their history or not. Right. That right. is left, that is left unstated. It is not explicit. 
it is really comes down to how the actors inform that relationship. Um, but Paula is also a character that is of a different class than the others. So Fornes is, is entering into that kind of conversation as well about the haves and the have nots and how, how the structure of society, certain societies, right. Um, can really hurt certain, certain groups. Yep. Um, you were going to add something. Yeah. That, I mean, obviously that relationship also informs the others, right? Because you, you <laughs> the other, they seem so, um, false in a way, you know, the, the relationships between the women and the men and just like, you know, <laughs> they're, they're shooting blanks at them or not. And they're being, you know, shot at by them or not. And so it definitely is that I feel like at the center of this play in terms of how it reads out to the others and in to them. So, so do you feel like when you read Fafu for the first time, did you feel like you were reading a feminist play? Do you feel like this is a play that has, I mean, and then I guess the other question is what makes a play feminist, right? And this is something that Fornes had very, did a very slippery sort of dance in interviews through the years answering questions about this play being feminist or about her work being feminist. But that can't stop us from having our own thoughts on it. What right. do you think? Um, I mean, if a play is feminist because it's truly about women, then, um, yes, if it's, if it's supposed to, um, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm in a bind here, knowing, <laughs> meaning, meaning because I hear her, her bind it's like a you know it's like the the double bind of of yes of course duh <laughs> yes it is and then and then also hearing her being like well whatever is that just another stupid label <laughs> you know <laughs> so I can hear all her struggles in the question and the answer of the thing um I mean I think it is if in our terms right uh yeah um I mean, but, I would ask you as a playwright, I mean, something that I've found really interesting through the years of of reading and producing and directing plays that are more experimental. I mean, as part of Thinking Cap's mission that we present plays that experiment with form. And then also reading some scholarship through the years that talks about, you know, what kinds of playwrights do we actually see experimenting with form? Um, and I think about my own experiences, having reviews written of plays, like we did a play called uh, Collective Rage, a play in Five Bettys by Jen Silverman. Mm -hmm. And some critics didn't know what to make of the ending of that play because it subverted uh, a traditional ending. Right? right. So I wonder for you with your playwright, do you see a kindred spirit in Fornes and someone who was experimenting with form in a sense that it was not this masculine, patriarchal, Aristotelian kind mm -hmm. of structure that yeah. she was utilizing. She was doing something else. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, you read a lot of plays, you see that a lot of times there are women playwrights that are doing just that, trying to find their way and find a place for their voice. And it is through formal innovation as, as much as anything else. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Um, I mean, even now, I think we're constantly fighting that, that, um, structure, that sort of like, 
tyranny of structure, um, which is, is true. I mean, we're still doing that. I right now have uh, well, actually the very first version of this play you did a reading of, which was Grace sponsored by Monteverde. Um, and the way that it ended up is that right now it's a play that you receive in one way and the director can shuffle the scenes around, you know? Um, so you can actually, because it's supposed to mirror social media, and so there's, there's um, you know, images and captions, and then there's scenes, and some may go with them, or some, you know, depending on which way you're shuffling them around. However, when you give people that to read, and in your mind you have, you, you've created this thing where you know exactly what it's doing, where it's going, what it can do, how you can shuffle it, and, you know, people are like, what do I do with this? What do I do with this? Like, what am I supposed to do? I'm like, you're supposed to work, which is what, what we are supposed to do. You know, like, we're actually supposed to, like, go in there and really get these things and not just be like, okay, it's all been set out for me. I have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and here's this thing, and I'll put it up in two weeks, max, max, we're done. Like, that's not really what we're supposed to be doing anyway, you know? So it's like, how do you then force people to move outside of these systems and structures? And the only, I mean, the most you know, feminist or how, whatever way to do this is by messing with the form and saying, okay, so let's do it from the inside out because this is actually, again, this is actually who, who we are, who I am, who, you know, you deal with it. You have to deal with it and you have to, you know, and, and there shouldn't be one linear Aristotelian model, which we all have to bottle to kingdom come and, you know, it'd be upsetting when it's not that, you know, or <laughs> misunderstood or not. Uh, or too complicated or whatever, all the millions of things that it can be. So, um, yeah, for sure. I mean, that sort of speaks to something that, that I've always been interested in with Bordaz, but I mean, lots of artists feel this way, right? Which is not wanting to have uh, some obligation to spoon feed uh, producers or audiences with a certain message and not wanting work to be reducible to some neat and tidy explanation in Fornes, I mean, in Fefu and her friends in particular, right? I mean, the ending defies logic. It defies um, a concise explanation. Um, and that is entirely the point. And it's not to make people feel like they are stupid because they don't get it, right? right. It's, to encourage, it's to encourage people to experience art, to experience theater differently, right? Yeah. She says there's there's this great quote where she says something about like when you experience a work of art, when you experience a play by her, what's really important is the spirit of the thing and letting it wash over you and how it makes you feel and just putting aside the intellect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's not, it's easier said than done. Yeah, I know. I know. But I mean, even if the question is like what, which I think is the question in so much of it is like, what is, if you're confused by the actions, but you have an understanding that what's here is, oh, this is about a relationship between what's happening over here and this person and what happened with this rabbit and with this woman, you know what I mean? Like, it, even if you're just talking about a relationship between characters and a relationship between people and a, all of those questions start to come up and all of those um, conversations, I mean, that's that's the work, isn't it? I mean... As long as people can go in and not not feel like I have to come out, which which is also very structurally 
um, masculine in a way of like, I have to have this answer here, you know? Well, not really. I mean, when do we, when do we really ever have answers? That's the thing. And we, and the more we try to pin things down, yeah. uh, the more we frustrate ourselves. I mean, and tell this to a cast though, when yeah. you sit down at a table read for the first time to work on a play like this, right? One thing I can say being on the other side of directing this play and having talked to lots of people like you for this podcast series is that we're not alone. And not only are we not alone, right? But this is like, this is the human condition. And we are deluding ourselves if we think that we can somehow solve and resolve and answer everything. I mean, I think if there was any activist uh, aims within Fornes as an artist, it was not with the works themselves, which I think present problems, pose a ton of questions, but it's what you do from there, mm-hmm. right? The action, the activism starts with the audience. And even if we're talking about like, just like how, how can you receive, how can you receive or experience theater differently yeah. so that you can be at peace yeah. with the not fully getting it, but that was really powerful, mm-hmm. right? You can fully get something, but you can't really, but not be moved by it, yeah. right? I think for most people, it's undeniable when you sit through something by Fornes, even if you're, you don't have words to describe what you think of it, you can certainly say it made me feel things. Definitely. And, and the power is in what lingers, you know, I mean, it doesn't, it's not what happens right then and there, like you're saying right now, it's what happens when you, when you leave the theater and that lingering quality of something, whether it's a novel that you're reading or a play that you just watched is the whole point. (laughs) is the whole point you know i mean and it's not new i mean it is catharsis isn't in the theater i mean some it does sometimes it start there but doesn't end there you know what i mean it's like you have to take it outside um you have to come down from the mountain (laughs) yeah Yeah. so um tell us vanessa about what else you're working on right now i'm also co-writing something else with richard blanco um for portland stages um called um Sweet Goats and Blueberry Senoritas, which is, uh, there's a baker at the, at the center of this in Maine. Um, and I bring that up because I also have a picture book that has to do with baking. So this is a thread of, (laughs) (laughs) and I, it's not just because it's like post pandemic. It's that my grandfather, um, my picture book is called What the Bread Says. And, um, it's about my grandfather and the stories that he told me about our history um, while baking bread, which is so much about waiting, you know, um, and he escaped three, three tyrannies. So Franco, Hitler, and then Castro. So that's a complicated story to tell kids in a picture book, but somehow they're publishing it. it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It comes out in October. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. Stay tuned for more insightful conversation about the life and legacy of playwright Maria Irene Fornes.